What an honor it is to get to call Tim Coleman my friend. Um, I'm glad he would call me his friend. Uh, I'm very excited to be with you today. Hello, Point. It's good to see you again. It's been a little while since my wife Becky and I were able to worship with you, but we're glad to be here today, and we're glad that God has given us the privilege. I'm somewhat surprised in that video that he didn't refer to me either as Grandpa or the Bishop. Uh, I talked to him yesterday uh, on the phone on the way over here, and, and he said, uh, Hey, Bishop. And I said, Yeah, that's Tim. <laughs> uh, I am not a bishop. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just a person. Uh, but anyway, I'm thrilled to be here with you today. Grateful for uh, Pastor Joe and the worship team. What a great job they do in leading you to worship Jesus here. Amen? Okay, well, that, Joe, I think y'all do better than that, but they were, that's. That's the best I could do, buddy. I'm sorry, wherever you went. <laughs> and I'm also grateful that God brought Pastor John and his family to a point as the next generation pastor. Aren't you grateful for him as well? Thankful for you, John. Yeah, all right. Y'all don't tell Joe you didn't clap for him now, okay? i just just throwing that out there. If you brought a Bible, open it to Philippians chapter 3. I want us to think a little bit together today about what I called uh, living a focused life. I had this title differently, and I said, no, I don't. I think that's not really what I'm trying to communicate. So I'm hoping this title maybe kind of captures what I'm trying to give our emphasis and our thoughts to today, living a focused life. I brought some, some pictures with me I thought I'd share with you. I've got just, just three. I won't bore you with my grandkids' pictures. i got a bunch of them. Here's my first one. Well, it's a, it's a little out of, that's not too good, is it, really? So here's my second one. I say, well, that's, that's sort of better. I'm not the best photographer. <laughs> but, but here's my third one. Oh, man, that makes all the difference, doesn't it? Have you ever noticed how in photography focus is pretty important, isn't it? It's really important. If you want to have a good picture, you want to have something you can remember, uh, something you can cherish, then focus matters. It's similar in the life of a believer, in the life of a Christian. That focus is very important in our lives as followers of Jesus. So I want you to think about your life this morning, right there where you are. And what would you say is the most important or one thing that you value above everything else? Now, be honest with yourself. You don't have to, I'm not going to ask you to call it out out loud, but just in your mind, in your heart of hearts, what's the one thing you value more than anything? <laughs> now, I'm guessing that probably in this room, a group of people this size, some of us thought of our spouse. Some of us didn't, and I'm concerned about that, but that's a whole other sermon. Uh, some of us thought of our spouse. Some of us thought of our family. We value our family more than Some of us thought of our church or our, our boat. <clears throat> and some of us might have even thought of our job. That's what I value most in life, and... Uh, but if you answered your relationship with Jesus, then I have a second question for you. <laughs> is your relationship with Jesus everything you want it to be? Now, if it is, I think it's appropriate that we give him thanks for his mercy and his grace and his favor in our life, right? If our relationship with him is everything I want it to be and I think he wants it to be, then that's his grace and his mercy and his favor extended to us. Amen? I mean, it's nothing we did. It's all about him. <laughs> Jesus, only Jesus. I heard a group sing about that recently. It was really good. 
Just thought I'd throw that out there. But if you couldn't answer yes, that it was your relationship with Jesus and it's everything you want it to be, then let me ask you this. What could make it more of what you think he would want it to be? And that's kind of what I want us to think about. In his letter to his friends in the church at Philippi, the Apostle Paul gives us a window kind of into his heart. Who is Paul on the inside? And he describes his focused life in Christ, his, his one thing, his most valued thing in our text today. Let me give a little background to this text and then we'll kind of walk through it together. Philippians chapter 3. And in the, the beginning verses of this chapter, Paul gives a warning. A warning about a group of people called Judaizers. These were Jewish people who claimed to know Christ. He refers to them affectionately in verse 2 as beware of the dogs. He ain't talking Georgia Bulldogs either. <laughs> he calls them dogs. Beware of the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. See, they were attempting to impose behaviors and customs on people's lives in order to prove their salvation, to prove they belong to Jesus. Sometimes they even made reference to educational expectations. If you're really going to be a follower of Jesus, you must have gone to seminary. Right. Mm. And then in verse 3, Paul clarifies the authentic expression of salvation. Look at verse 3. I don't have it on the screen, but just look at it in your Bible or on your phone or pad or whatever you got there. Is to worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Having no confidence in yourself or your own accomplishments. And some of y'all are pretty smart. Some of y'all have done some amazing things in your life. I, Becky and I were at, out for dinner recently and I met a World War II veteran. I asked him, he had on a ball cap that said he had I said, sir, did you really fight in World War II? He said, from 45 or from 37 to 45. I said, I'm buying that man's dinner. That's a pretty amazing accomplishment, right? Thank God for his generation. <laughs> but the reality is, Paul said, we, we don't need to have any confidence in ourselves or in our accomplishments. And this is how he then begins to describe his, the focus of his life. He, he lists in verses 6 and 7 there, or excuse me, 5 and 6, uh, his uh, religious credentials, his academic credential. He was a he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had a PhD, you know, a Pentecostal hairdo. I mean, he was he was the Mac Daddy of religiousness. It didn't get more religious than Paul was, right? He was very religious. And yet, I want you to see in these verses we're going to focus in on today some characteristics of his life focused on Christ is one thing. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Whatever gain I had had, I counted as loss. All of that religious stuff, all that academic stuff, all those accomplishments, all that heritage, all that lineage I had as nothing. He says, I counted that as loss for the sake of of Christ. <laughs> Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's, he's just reviewed these qualifications and credentials he had for leadership in God's kingdom. And now notice what Paul states his life focus is. It's knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. 
It's Paul's personal response of faith and obedience to God's self-revelation of of himself. He he revealed himself. How did he do that? It was in Acts chapter 9. There on that road to Damascus, Saul, the persecutor of the early church, was going to kill Christians. Oh yeah, they weren't called Christians then. They were just people of the way. But he was on his way to kill them and he had official papers that allowed him to do that. Is that rain? Okay. I thought, man, I have messed something up with this mic or that. What's going on? Sorry about that. Whoo! <laughs> and there on the road, much like this rain today, Paul, boom, was confronted. God revealed himself to Saul, the persecutor, and asked him, why are you, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting those who are followers of mine? And on that trip, on that day, on that experience of Paul's, His life was transformed. God revealed himself to us. And there that day, Paul's new life of knowing Christ, he would say, far surpasses any accomplishments of his own, any old academic knowledge of Jesus. And and the cool thing about it, when he wrote this letter, he's pretty old. He's still learning. (laughs) I recently had a friend say to me, you know, when you quit learning, they plant you. That's true. That's true. You you can choose to quit learning, though, if you're not careful and lose focus, right? Your life gets out of focus. We choose to stop learning. Paul said, man, I'm continuing to learn. This knowing Christ is an ongoing, lifelong process. And he declares the loss of all these things is... He he uses the word in the Greek that refers to street filth or dung or rubbish. And it got me to thinking... (laughs) Are there things in our lives that we hold on? We hold on to them because we think somehow that that keeps us in a right relationship with God. Have you ever heard a preacher say, when you get to the end of life, rope, tie a knot in it and hang on? That's the sorriest preaching I've ever heard in my life. John 10 and verse 27, 28, I believe it is, says, "Those Jesus says, those the Father has placed in my hand, no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. I'm not holding on to Jesus. He's holding me. I don't have a chance without Jesus. If there was a rope in life and I tied a knot in it, I don't have the grip strength to hold on. No, he's holding me and those the Father has placed in my hand. He says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. That's where the little song used to come from. Got the whole world. I mean, he's holding us in his hand. And Paul was saying, man, I'm learning more. I'm growing more. But if we're not careful, there's other things we hold on to. Well, I've been a church member all of my life. <laughs> One of my favorites. Brother Lewis, I wasn't really that bad as a kid. Okay, how bad do you have to be for Jesus to die on the cross? I was in GA. I was in Sunbeams before GAs. I've been a GA all my life. I'm a girl in action. Okay, wonderful. Praise God, that's his favor on you. You didn't go through the junk I did. See, by the time I was 13, I'd figured out sin and I was real good at it. And on a Thursday night in 1971 in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, at Trinity United Methodist Church, I was sitting way back over here. I was not there to hear the gospel. 
I'd heard that all. I had a drug problem as a child. <laughs> My parents drugged me to church every time the doors were open. I mean, we, I was churched up to here, right? I mean, I, I knew church stuff, right? <laughs> but when that preacher preached the gospel that night, and he came down, and he stood down there, and he said, tonight if you'll come to Jesus, he'll forgive your sins. He'll give you a new... He'll give you a do-over. It's like a brand new life in Christ. If you'll come to him, he'll save you. He'll forgive you. He'll make you whole. I couldn't get from back there to down here quick enough. I needed a savior. How did you know that, Lewis? Because I was a good sinner. I was real good at it. And the load of that guilt, the load of that on my life, I needed help. I'd seen how good I'd do at life on my own. It wasn't good. It was not good. Paul's declaring, knowing Christ relationally is the aim of everything in life, both now and into eternity. The aim, the focus. We see the clarity of a focused life. The second thing I want you to see is the connection of a focused life. This is in verse 9. He says, In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, the Judaizers were claiming righteousness for themselves through keeping the law. Can I just ask you, how are you doing at that? <laughs> if you're not trusting Jesus and you're just trying to keep the law, well, you know, God gave us Ten Commandments and I'm working on them. How are you doing? <laughs> I am <I'm> flunking out. <laughs> Can we just be transparent a minute here? I mean, I'm not doing so good at keeping the law. I'm a follower of Jesus and I can't keep the law. Good news is I don't have to. Following Jesus, I've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's what he offers us today. That's what Paul was talking about here. He said, we have a righteousness not of our own. That would be something we earned or something that we accomplished yeah, Jesus is fortunate to have me. Look how beautiful I am. Wouldn't you want me to be one of your followers? I look at these guns. You know, I, you know, I mean, whatever. It's amazing to me what I run into in churches all over the pan, panhandle of Florida. I said in one church, God loves you. And I thought this guy in the back said, of course he does. <laughs> well, there's a humble brother. <laughs> I mean, really? Wow. No, we, we need to understand the righteousness is only in Christ Jesus, only in relationship with him. Paul declares here the only true righteousness is found in Jesus. And this true righteousness is based on faith in Jesus Christ alone. He, he expounds on this idea of salvation by grace through faith all throughout his writings. In Romans 6 and verse 23, Paul reminds us the free gift of God. It's a free gift of God is everlasting life or eternal life. The free gift. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. You're not good enough to deserve it. It's just a free gift from God, this eternal life he's offering. And then the, the foundations verses that we quoted together today, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace. Someone asked me one time, what is grace? And there's an acronym you've probably heard a bunch of times. God's riches at Christ's expense. It cost him everything. So you and I could have the righteousness of Christ in us. That promise of eternal life, abundant life here and now into eternity. 
grace. It's the undeserved favor of God. By grace, you are saved through faith. And then I love Paul puts this phrase in there. And by the way, you don't have enough of that to get saved. (laughs) And that not of yourselves is how he says it. The faith. You didn't have enough faith. Well, then where did I get it from? I'll tell you, God. God gave you enough faith to hear the gospel, understand it, and trust him. Trust him. That's faith. How do you describe faith? It's trusting Jesus. Well, what do you mean trusting him in what? In everything. In everything, right? I trust him. I trust he's true. I trust he's faithful. I trust he died in my place. I trust he's told me he's coming back to get me and I'm going to go home with him one day. I trust him. You're saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not works. So that we don't brag about it. My question is this. Have you made this faith connection with God through Jesus Christ? And if not, oh friend, if not, I encourage you, do so today. Today, Hey, uh, Joe mentioned this earlier, the breath we breathe. God gave us that breath, right? Why did he give you this breath? Why did he bring you here today? I told the earlier group, I said, some of y'all are here because she said to be here. Some of y'all are here because she said get in the car. Some of y'all are here because she said, I ain't fixing lunch if you don't go to church. I had a buddy in Panama City in the church where we served there who told his wife he was going to buy a new Ducati. Anybody know what a Ducati is? Yeah, Italian-made motorcycle, cost a couple of coins. Yeah, lots, crazy money. He told her he's going to buy one. She said, no, you're not. He said, yes, I am. She said, no, you're not. He said, yes, I am. And they went around about it for a little while. She said, all right, I tell you what. You come to church with me five Sundays in a row and don't say anything. Don't say anything. Just sit there five Sundays in a row and you can get the Ducati. He said, I, deal. And about Sunday number three, he was sitting back here, middle row or middle section, middle aisle, black leather vest, black leather chaps over his black jeans, his long black hair. I preached with fear and trembling. I got to be honest with you. Dude was massive. I mean, he was a big mountain of a guy. (laughs) And about the third Sunday that he came, we're having the invitation, time for people to respond to the gospel. He steps out. I start internally singing, Lord, I'm coming home. You know, it's it's over. He's coming down here to kill me. I done said something made him mad and... I'm going to die in the house of God, you know, <laughs> standing right there. <laughs> and he got about halfway up the aisle, and I saw big old tears running down his face. See, the gospel is the power of God to salvation, to all who would believe. And that big old guy believed. He believed that what Jesus said is true, and he trusted him that day. It's so funny because he... <laughs> He's like Paul in a lot of ways. He got radically saved. I mean, he went from being this beer drinking, bike riding. He still rode by. He bought the Ducati. <laughs> he bought the Ducati. Joined the Christian Motorcycle Association. Put a big old patch on his, had Jesus freak on his helmet. I mean, he went hog wild for Jesus. 
He'd go to bike week and witness to everybody that'd stand still and breathe just a minute. You say, hold on, I got something to tell you, boy. It's going to change your life. And I mean, he's big enough. You kind of paid attention to what he had to say, you know. All I'm saying is, if you've never trusted Jesus, maybe today, maybe that's why you're here today. Not because she said she wasn't going to fix lunch if you didn't go to church. He really wants you to know him. So there is the clarity of a focused life, the connection. I have to tell you this, and I need to back up to verse 8, to the latter part of verse 8, because there's also a cost, the cost of a focused life. Uh, Paul says in verse 8, for, the, for his sake, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I need to tell you, I'm, in fact, I must tell you today, following Christ does not bring with it the promise of the American dream. I hate to bust your bubble. I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> At least I know I'm free. Now that's Lee Greenwood, sorry. <laughs> I, I am proud to be an American. But following Christ... There's no promise of the American, you know, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Jesus never said that. That's in the Declaration, I think, Constitution, one of them documents. No, instead, uh, following Jesus has a cost to it. Here's how Jesus said it. And, I, and the reason I'm going to read this passage is I really want you to understand, you come to Jesus on his terms. You don't come to Jesus on your terms. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew 16. Let me just read to you verses 24 through 26. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, three things. First one, deny himself. Second one, take up his cross. And in the Luke passage of this same text, he says, take up your cross daily. Yeah, every day. So, so deny myself. And, and by the way, ma'am, <laughs> every now and then I go to a little rural churches and some of the sweet ladies have come out and say, I wish my husband was here. You know, he don't come to church with me much and he's just my cross to bear. Can I tell you, sweet ladies and men, <laughs> that's not what Jesus was talking about here. Taking up your cross. It wasn't your spouse. Now, what was the cross to Jesus? Think about it. What was the cross to Jesus? Wasn't it Jesus in Gethsemane who said, Father, is there any way this cup can pass for me? Nevertheless... <clears throat> Not my will be done, but your will be done, right? The cross was total, complete, surrendered obedience to the Father's will. That kind of changes when you hear that phrase, take up your cross, doesn't it? Total, surrendered obedience daily. <laughs> daily. Lord, it's Lewis. I'm checking in this morning. So far, I hadn't cussed, kicked the dog, said anything mean, or run anybody off the road. But I am about to get out of bed, God. Right? Please help me through this day. I'm surrendering to be obedient to your plan for my life. Not my plan. Anybody got a calendar? I know you do. If you got a phone, you got a phone, you got a calendar, right? You put stuff on that calendar. Isn't that fun? You put stuff on your calendar. And you look at it and say, well, I hope that happens today. Because <laughs> it's likely not going to, is it? Why is that? Maybe God's trying to interrupt your daily schedule so that he could teach you or show you something that would bring him glory. Deny yourself, 
Take up your cross. And then those two words, what are they? Follow me. That's what he said to his disciples, wasn't it? Matthew 4, verse 19, Jesus walking along the seashore and sons of Zebedee Fishing Company out here. And he said, follow me. And the company went belly up, right? Peter, Andrew, James, John, they all left. Zebedee standing out there like, guys, where, where are you going? You know, I mean, they're following Jesus. I'll take you back to try to help you understand. Following means you're not leading. You with me? When Jesus said, follow me, that means you're not in charge. You're not the boss. You're not leading. It means follow me. And then he goes on to say, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake. Those three words, would you circle them in your Bible? For my sake. Some hardships we bring on ourselves, don't we? I mean, I'm glad you didn't answer that out loud, but I'm just saying it seems sort of obvious, doesn't it? Some things we bring on ourselves, but Jesus is saying, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? You got all the toys, all the trinkets, all the things of this world and forfeits his soul. What shall a man give in return for his soul? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian and ultimately martyr. Great man of God, great theologian, great thinker. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in this book, I'm, yeah, we got the quote up there on the screen. It says, he says, the cross is laid on every Christian. I believe it's laid on us the moment we trust Jesus. Because when we trust Jesus, we pick up that cross. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live for Jesus. Oh, yeah, we put it down lots of times. I'm praying if you've put it down, maybe you'll pick it back up in that focused life approach that we're talking about here. The first Christ suffering, Bonhoeffer continues, which every man must experience is the call to abandon, uh-oh, the attachments of the world. Yeah, but I like my RV. We're going next week to the mountains. Ain't nothing wrong with my golf clubs. Just that I use them six days a week. Come on now, preacher. Right? The attachments of the world, they're not bad. They just take us off focus. That's all. We just get off focus. You're not, a, you're not an axe murderer. You're just a golfer, an avid five, six, seven-day-a-week golfer. Off focus. I'm witnessing to every time I hit a ball. Anyway, let me move on. <clears throat> we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. <laughs> There's a thought. And John and I were looking at each other earlier thinking about that phrase. We give over our lives to death. Let's put that in the membership class requirements. <laughs> I will die for the gospel. <laughs> yeah, preacher, I'm not joining. <laughs> right? There's literally a seminary in Seoul, South Korea, where their students enroll in that seminary. They have to sign a statement, I will die for the gospel. That'll cut your attendance down. That'll cut your enrollment down, won't it? It really sort of sorts it out for us. Who's really all in or just sort of in, partially in. We give over our lives to death. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man or the old nature at his call. Only the man who is dead to his own will hmm, can follow Christ. Does that hurt y'all like it hurts me? Is it just me? 
Only the man who is dead to his own will can find. I got a strong, I was a strong-willed child. Dobson wrote books about me. My parents read them. It did no good, apparently. I just think about it. Man, Lord, help me die to myself and live to you, right? To your will be done. In fact, every command, Bonhoeffer concludes, of Jesus is a call to die with all our affections and lusts. Paul declares the loss of all of his earthly possessions or positions, and he says all of that is nothing in comparison to gaining Christ. His desire, see, was to tap into the persevering faith provided through Christ's resurrection because as our prayer time revealed, life's hard, isn't it? Life is hard. And the old me dies daily. So in verse 10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in death. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, not many of us really desire suffering. But but see if you can understand Paul's emphasis here. Here's what he's saying. Faithfulness to Christ through suffering on his behalf leads to increased Christ-likeness, spiritual growth in the individual, and a powerful testimony to the lost world of who Jesus is. The cost of a focused life is surrendering your will to accomplish His will. Some of y'all might be even college age in here. you first, second, third, fourth year in college, somewhere along there. And you know there's a finish line coming. You're praying for that finish line. Oh, Lord, help me cross the finish line. If I could just graduate, get this doctorate done, get this master done, get this bachelor done, whatever it is. But beyond that, what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with that? Some of you may be actually unemployed right now and trying to figure out what's God's next for me. Some of you may be sort of a little beyond my age and you've already retired. Man, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit back and take my ease in Zion. I may tear down my barns and build me some bigger barn. Really? What if, what if God had a plan for you now that it's just you and her? Oh, I can tell you what his plan for me is. Boy, I'm going fishing. <laughs> yeah, okay. What if his plan was a little broader than that? You know, like as you grow in knowing him, he wants to use you to serve some group of people in another country. <laughs> Not long ago, attended the funeral of a pastor that influenced my life greatly as a young boy. He was 95, I think it was. When he retired from senior pastorate ministry in his church, he and his wife went to Germany as missionaries with the IMB. 65, 67, something like that. Maybe 68. Went to Germany. What'd they do on the mission field? They taught English as a second language. To German kids. How about that? See, see, in, in our churches, bless his heart, he sure has been a faithful servant, hadn't he? He's 68 now. He's got to go. In God's church, he said, man, I got plans for you, buddy. Let's get over here to Germany. I got some stuff I want to show you and teach you. He came back. He and his wife came back from Germany after several years over there. And he filled this pulpit and that pulpit and interimed here and interimed there. He continued. And I got to hear him preach his last sermon this year. It was about two months ago. First Baptist Church in Niceville. Maybe in three months ago. 
And then about a month later, he went home. See, he's battling cancer the whole time. So, 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 so wait a minute. Wait, wait. He's battling cancer and doing this stuff? Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was. And I'm not saying that's... I'm just asking you. What is God's will? Will you surrender your will? To accomplish his will. I mean, Jesus modeled it for us, didn't he? When his disciples said, Father, will you teach us to pray? He said, pray this way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? Right here. On earth. Because his will is being done in heaven, right? God's will. So he's saying, pray, God, your will be done in me, my life. We see the clarity the connection, the cost, and, and I want you to finally see here the culmination of a focused life. Verse 11. Verse 11 says that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now understand, this, this is not a like a, it sort of sounds like Paul's earning or trying to work. No, 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 no. There's no hesitation or lack of confidence on Paul's part in this statement. In fact, this is a statement of the certain future, the certain future for all who are in Christ Jesus. The resurrection, uh, we sang that song, the resurrected Lord is resurrecting me. He's growing me up into who he is so that when I see him, I'll recognize him, I'll know him. So let's sing songs about heaven and never give thought of what it'd be like to have to live there. See, because in heaven, God's will is done. <laughs> it ain't going to be the American way. I think we should vote on that. Let's get a committee together, God, and study that. No, uh-uh. <laughs> It's a dictatorship in heaven. God is on the throne. There's only one king. His name's Jesus. We don't get to have a vote. We are his. We're there to worship and praise the king of kings and lord of lords. The one who gave his all. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good, preacher. What else you got? I just, I just, I don't know about you. <laughs> And I don't know what it was like to be Paul and be as smart and everything as he was and educated. I'm from Valparaiso, Florida. I mean, y'all probably don't even know where Valparaiso, and that's okay. You're not supposed to. It's like Mayberry of Florida. You may not even know what Mayberry is, some of you young ones. But anyway, that's a whole nother. Small town, landlocked, the the bay, Niceville, that's it. Eglin, it can't grow anybody. It's a little, it's nowheresville. <laughs> and yet the king of kings the lord of lords knew this little brat of a kid down here in valparaiso florida and said yep i bought him what what yep i bought him i get to live for the king of kings i get to serve king jesus i get to tell people about jesus are you kidding me can there be a greater thing than that (laughs) and paul said i just want to know more about him i just want to know him more (sighs) sometimes i just i think we think again we're sort of god's gift to heaven instead of heaven being God's gift to us. <laughs> that life beyond this life. One of the sweet ladies here that teaches a lady Sunday school class told me two weeks ago they talked about hell. The certainty and reality of hell. Yeah, that'll make you ladies perk up on it. Turn your hair and up, Gertrude. You need to hear this. <laughs> right? <laughs> the certainty and reality of hell. 
bet it got hot in that room, don't you? <laughs> but see, we don't give thought to hell. I'm not even sure there really is a hell. Oh, it's in here. <laughs> their fire is not quenched and their worm does not die. That's how it's described. Anybody lining up to go there? No. No. I thought you said God was a God of love. Why is he sending people to hell? He doesn't. He doesn't even want you to go. <laughs> Knowing yourself, he doesn't even want you to go. In fact, I was thinking this morning as we were singing John 3 and verse 17. I know I got the clock going on up here. I'm, I'll be finished here in a little bit. John 3 and verse 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus did not come to condemn you. Why did he send him? It goes on to say, he came that, though, that the world might believe in him, that they might trust him as Savior and Lord. And to everyone, in verse 18 it says, who has believed in his name, they have eternal life, or they are not condemned. But to those who do not believe, he says, they're condemned already. Why? Because they've chosen not to believe in the name of the only Son of God. So who sent who to hell? In those two verses, if I chose not to trust Jesus and follow him, I was condemned already. I was condemned because I'm born with a sin nature. We all are. <laughs> you say, I don't believe that. You need to work in the preschool next Sunday. <laughs> right? <laughs> you don't think people are born with a sin nature. Go work with those sweet little angels back there. <laughs> right? Who's teaching those kids how to act like that? Nobody. They don't have to teach them how to do wrong. That comes to them naturally. Why is that? They have a sin nature just like we do. And there's no solution outside of Jesus Christ for sin. He paid the price on the cross so you and I could have the gift of eternal life. I mean, have you ever considered the reality of eternity? I mean, we don't typically think about it. We don't typically think about eternity until somebody dies. You think there really is a heaven? You think there really is a hell? I think they're just over there in that box. I think they just put them down in the ground. I hear all kinds of stuff. When you do think about the reality of eternity... Do you think about it with confidence in the power of Christ's resurrection? See, the grave couldn't hold him. That's what we celebrate at Easter. <laughs> oh, yeah, they, he, he died, and they buried him, and they put him in the grave. <laughs> Three days later, right? Woo! Jesus up from the grave. Anyway, yeah, he's alive. He rose from the dead. He's a living Lord and Savior. We can have confidence in the power of Christ's resurrection within us. Or does the thought of eternity bring fear? Fear. See, when you're younger, you don't think about it much. Because you think, i got the rest of my life ahead of me. When you start getting my age and beyond, you think about it a little more often. How many more years do I have, Lord? I want to make the most of them for you. So that when I wake up from this life at home, I'll recognize you and everyone that's there to meet me and worship you with me. 
Does eternity, the thoughts of eternity bring fear? I want you to know this. Jesus doesn't want you to be afraid. Uh, Listen to what he said one more time in Matthew 16. This is just 24 and 25. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He is, he's speaking of the John 10, 10 abundant life that's here and now and leads into eternity. Paul concludes in verse 12, I press on. In other words, I don't quit. I don't sit. I know some Baptists that have done that. They sit and soak. Bless me if you can, preacher. Hit me with your best shot. They sit and soak. What I've noticed about those Baptists, they're usually sour. Yeah, sour. No, Paul said, I press on, making my own because why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I don't deserve that. Christ Jesus has made me his own. The it that Paul is writing about here is his pursuit of a vibrant, growing relationship with Christ. He says, because Christ has made me his own, I want to know him more and more and more. He understood that he'd been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone and that that eternal and abundant life that he now knows is solely because of Christ's love for him and Christ's love for you. He emphasizes further into the race he goes, the harder he presses, the more intentional he is about knowing Christ. I know some people that are intentional about checking the stocks every day. I didn't even know this thing had a thing on here about stocks. And some friend of mine showed me, hey, man, look here. I said, well, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> but thanks for showing me. I mean, I feel informed. Doesn't change my life one bit. You must not have no investments. Oh, it doesn't matter. All that stuff's going to stay here. I'm going home one day. Right? I know people that, man, they can't start today. I got to have my newspaper and my coffee. If I don't get my newspaper and my coffee, I ain't going to have a good day. Wow, really? So you want to start your day with bad news, fill your brain with bad junk, and then try to caffeinate it up to make you get up and want to go do something, right? Really? Are you kidding me? Are we serious here? <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, no, I just read the obits. Oh, that's that. <laughs> that's helpful. <laughs> want to be sure I'm not in there. Yeah, okay, whatever. Wh- what if you made it a priority <laughs> to know Christ every day? How do you get to know him, brother? Well, you open this book. You can read in here about him every day. Well, I ain't much of a reader. <laughs> Good news. There's an app for that. <laughs> right? For you non-readers, you can put the Bible on this thing. I've learned that. You can get some British guy. Hey, you know, Brother Tim, he don't use the King James. And if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. I'm going to read the King. Okay, put it on there. It's on there. Whithersoever thou goest, the Lord is with thee. I mean, it's on. The British guy will read it to you. You have no excuse for not getting the Word of God into your life and getting to know Jesus more and more and more each day. Some people, I I do think, some people don't read the Bible because they know that. They know it'll change them. And dadgummit, I've changed all these years and I'm tired of changing. 
How's that working for you? You looked in the mirror? Just saying. <laughs> I used to have black hair and a lot of it. <laughs> you can't stop change. Change is going to happen. So why not learn about Christ and embrace whatever changes he wants to bring here into your life, into your world, into your church? Let me conclude. <laughs> Jesus follower, I just have a question. Are you pressing on each day, pursuing a focused life of knowing Christ, being transformed every day by the renewing of our mind in Christ Jesus? Because I want you to see this last letter C, the commitment of a focused life. The commitments, commitment of a focused life. One thing I do, Paul says in verse 13, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Oh, man, we got some Baptist historians. I won't never forget when she said that. Mm -mm, no, I've got it locked in. I remember that. You remember that time he did such and such? That was just horrible. Why, why, why do we stay in the past? Why don't we move on into the present and look toward the future, right? That's what Paul's saying. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. People in Paul's day and even some today seem to lose sight of what we spend our lives in pursuit of. <laughs> And here we find Paul's statement of singular focus and the end to which he is straining everything in his present life is drawn to a future in which Christ is finally and fully known. We'll see him face to face and we'll be like him. Everything in mine and your present life and future must be driven by the one pursuit of Christ, not by the pursuit of popularity, not by the pursuit of of prosperity, not by the pursuit of pleasure. And Lord, we Americans are good at that. We have to surrender our focus and faith in our pursuit of Jesus Christ. My question again remains, are you straining forward toward what lies ahead for those in Christ Jesus? If those closest to you were asked, what matters most to him? If I asked your spouse, if I asked your children, if I ask your co-workers, what's most important to him or her? How do you think they would respond? Paul's entire life has been one thing, the pursuit of Christ. And this passage declares his desire to finish faithfully, to the, the pursuit of the upward call of God into the presence and fullness of Christ for all eternity. So let me ask you this, where are you this morning? Are you stuck in the past? Are you seized by fear? Are you singularly focused? Are you straining forward toward the prize of the upward call of God and what lies ahead? It, it is today the day that you decide Jesus must be my one thing, my most important thing. And you start living a focused life. Stand with me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much. <clears throat> thank you so much for your word. You justified us, Jesus, by grace through faith. And we didn't even have enough of that. You made it possible that us 
bratty little kid from Valpy, Florida could know you personally. Lord, I still can't believe that. It's just amazing. I'm so thankful, Jesus, you would save a boy like me. And Lord, yet I know there are people that have come here today and some of them, they're far away from you. And that's not your desire for them. You want them to know you, to grow in relationship with you, to walk close and intentionally with you every day. Maybe they're struggling with denying themselves. I know I did. Maybe today, for the first time, by the faith you will provide them, they'll step out and trust you, Jesus. They'll trust you and decide from this day forward, my one thing is going to be to follow Jesus. With all my heart to learn about him, to grow in my understanding of him, to know him, and to live my life that others would see Jesus and give glory to his name. Father, would you please move in people's hearts this day. Draw them to yourself. May someone be born into your family this day. May hearts be renewed. May minds be drawn back to the focus of knowing Christ. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.